Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody, and thank you for joining Kim and I today on The Wonderful World of Wine. How are you, Kim? I'm doing fine, Mark. How are yourself? Everything is great, Kim. And today we are joined once again, people who are longtime listeners may remember our guest today, Kathy Clancy from the Natural Wine School. How are you, Kathy? I'm wonderful. How are you? Great. It's so nice to have you back. And, and Kim and I were talking, it's been a while since 2021 is last talked with you and I our listeners. Yeah, so we, we had great conversations. Um, but, you know, fast forward to now, I'm excited and thrilled to talk about biodynamics with you. Yeah, this is a topic Kim and I think the uh, listeners need to know about. It's a buzzword we mention every once in a while on the show. Biodynamic winemaking is trending, I would think. Is it trending, Kathy, in your world? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a surge in natural, organic, and biodynamic wine searches. I look on Google Google Trends. And yes, it's absolutely trending up. Oh, good. That's why we have to cover it. First, before Kim asks her first question, I have to let the listeners know, and I have to let Kim know. Kim, Kathy is the person in the wine world that I cheat on you with because (gasps) I send her just as many articles as I send you and bug her all the time with articles. And and I'm going to touch on that at the end of the show because I want to bring up something about that. But I I just had to mention that. So I'm sorry right now, Kim, that... You sent somebody else all those articles. That yeah, you sent. I, I thought that was our little secret. <laughs> oh, I had let it out. Oh, I just now feel the guilty whole world it. knows. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, Kim, why don't you start off with your? Uh... How you want to start with uh, Kathy on the biodynamic question? Yeah, so it has been a little while since we touched on this topic for our listeners, but it is something that, like you were saying, Mark, you know, it is one of those words that I think is more present and is more there on wine bottles and in articles about wine. And we even see it more and more in our certification classes when people in the trade or people who are just interested in learning about wine are taking their classes, it's become a bigger part of the curriculum. So I was hoping that you could speak to our audiences, just give kind of a nutshell description about what biodynamics is and why people should pay attention to it. No problem. So biodynamics is a philosophy that goes beyond organic practices. People are more familiar with organic practices, but it incorporates a holistic view of agriculture and winemaking. They see the vineyard, the farm, the people in the farm, the whole farm environment as an organism that works together, a system that's connected. It's self-sustaining, meaning they try to use everything on the farm and not have other inputs from outside the farm. When it comes to a winemaking philosophy, they keep it simple. They believe low intervention, meaning the grape knows how to become wine, and the winemaker is a guide to let that happen. And I have to ask you, Kathy, just going back from how I first heard about biodynamics, the gentleman who presented this was an Austrian, correct? Way back in 1920s, 
range? Um, so yeah, so biodynamics was actually developed by Rudolf Steiner. He's somebody who also believed in the connectiveness of not only of, for example, the vineyard, but also to um, the cosmos. So he was kind of like an astrologer uh, who brought those concepts into the farming practice. Some things that are kind of practical that he talked about were lunar cycles, like the rising of a tide and, you know, low tides and how that impacts water in the soil and in the plants. So he incorporated some of that into his biodynamic practices. We hear a lot these days, I, I feel like, about this less intervention. And I know that this plays into one of the big things for the natural wine movement too, whether it's the grape growing or the wine making. And so I feel like, like Mark said earlier, you know, it's, it's sort of a trending topic, these kind of buzzwords with natural, but certainly is something that is on a lot of people's minds, whether it comes to wine or to food or to other products that we use. Yeah, one thing I'd say that's different, I recently went to a biodynamic masterclass, which I think we'll talk about, is uh, between natural winemakers, who I've met many, and biodynamic winemakers, natural winemakers are a little more spontaneous. They can make a wonderful wine, but it's truly a quick expression of what that grape's going to become, where biodynamics, I think, is a little more intensive, and I feel a different level of skill. Yeah, let's talk about the masterclass class, Kathy. So I found this really interesting about you. You see something you're passionate about, you explore it to the most extreme. So you find this class is being run in Napa Valley. You leave from Ohio, you go out to Napa. What was it, a week you were there? It was a three-day class, but I was there, yeah, about a week. Okay. So do they start right from the basics saying this is Steiner, this is his idea, this is what he taught? I mean, do they start at the very basic or they assume when you went in that you knew the basics of biodynamic? Um, this was truly a master class, Mark. I can tell you I was surrounded by the top natural biodynamic winemakers, vineyard managers from Italy. I mean, the top names were there. Then sitting in the session, there were really 70 of us. I was blessed to be sitting by and meeting some of the top winemakers in Napa, in California, Oregon, and Washington, all that have the strongest name in biodynamics. Vineyard managers as well for someone like Frey Vineyards, Bonterra, Sea Smoke. I mean, these are wonderful wines. Uh, so everybody knew all about that. But it's so interesting to me that way back, I mean, this Steiner has this idea and he presents it to a bunch of farmers and, and they listen to him and they go out and practice what he told them. And even to this day, these winemakers are still following these practices but there's really no real, this is the good thing about the wine world we always talk about, that you hear good things about it and you hear bad things about it. But is there a lot of scientific evidence now to back up what these people are doing in biodynamics? There's a growing body of evidence. And so that's something that came out in this class. I mean, there was data presented that shows that the healthy fungi in a winery is actually dependent on the health of a forest and trees buy it. So a healthy forest by the vineyard actually helps protect vineyard from botrytis and bad bacteria. There was a scientist from Chile who actually presented data to us. So more data is coming out. What was really awesome about this, Mark and Kim, was they want more data. 
And they want, they and the journalists there too, want to stop talking about Rudolf Steiner and kind of woo-woo ideas and show the results that come in their wines from their extremely healthy vineyards. So I was going to ask kind of as a springboarding off of that last comment of yours, Kathy, about sort of the things that are going on in the natural environment around the vineyard, not necessarily in the vineyard, but the health of the land and the area around it. There does seem to be more and more of that research coming out, like what is going on in the soil with the microbes? What is the microbiome of the of the area? And I never kind of put that together with what biodynamics could do as far as the health of the area. So that's a very interesting connection there that I see that that's really cool that people are actually doing some research and, t- and tying those things together. Yes, Olga Barroso from Chile was a scientist. She teaches at the University of Chile, I believe. But yeah, that's something she studies specifically. She talked about the fact that they put tree farms or tree islands within the vineyards and also put specific trees that would attract and keep birds that would help the vineyard. And they've seen substantial progress in reduction of pests just by doing that. So uh, yeah, very interesting research. That's one of the things I've seen all the time with biodynamics is that it's an ecosystem and they believe let everything take care of itself type of mentality. But are they using or are they allowed to use anything in the vineyards to to kill pests or do they just let everything take its course? Well, they follow organic practices as needed But they also, um, what they believe in is giving the soil and the vines and the fruit almost like an inoculation. They want to make it vigorous and resilient. So some of the preparations they make, they make sprays, they make other things they put on the vines at different times and on the soil that actually make those vines robust. The more robust they are, the less you need to fight mildew or fight pests. One thing that they brought up I thought was so interesting, and this is Kiera Pepe. She's out of Abruzzo. She loves to experiment, and she talks about using raw milk as a spray. And they found if they do that, they actually, it reduces mildew on the vines. And then they don't have to use kind of that Bordeaux mix because they don't want to add any copper potentially to the soil. So they're very creative in trying to achieve, again, this low intervention. So I want to follow up on the organic practice comment, Kathy. Is it possible for the biodynamic wineries that have both certifications so they can say organic grapes and they're certified biodynamic? Because I'm seeing more and more in the past that you just see biodynamic certified. Now they're saying all of it. They're saying the organic grown organic grapes and uh, biodynamic. So is that something that they're trying to put out more for the consumers, that it's organic practice? They, uh, Not that I'm aware of, Mark. I mean, in order to become certified with Demeter or other certifications, they have to be organic certified. They can't just be practicing. That's why they're kind of like super organic. So do you push this when you're educating? Do you say biodynamic is a step above organics? Absolutely. Um, It's more restrictive in what they can use in the vineyard. And also their winemaking practices are more restrictive, specifically too on processing. But that's 
kind of how they roll. I mean, they don't want to overfilter a wine. Processing, um, meaning the wine making after it comes in from the vineyard? Yes, when it comes in for the vineyard. And I'll give you an example. I was in South America. I was in Mendoza and at a winery, a biodynamic winery, where they literally built the winery so that it was only gravity that would allow the wine to move from a vat to like a basement below. And then it was natural. They used like natural paper, a minimal to do any of the filtering. So they didn't put it through a press. That was all the filtering that was going to happen to that wine. So they're, again, very conscientious in allowing that grape to become wine. It does sound like the creativity aspect of both what you do in the vineyard and what you do in the winery are kind of there in spades for these biodynamic producers. Like it really does appeal to that creative person in this part of the wine world. It's interesting. I would agree. They um, explained it to me that they use a lot of intuition, a lot of thoughtfulness, but combine it with science to make all of this happen. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark and Kim. Today, we are with our special guest, Kathy Clancy of The Natural Wine School. You can find more information about Mark on his website, franklinliquors.com, and more information about myself at commonwealthwineschool.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Wonderful World of Wine. Mark and I are talking to our friend, Kathy Clancy, who knows all about natural wine. She is the, uh, you're the director of The Natural Wine School. I'm the director, founder, educator. Director, founder, probably lots of other hats as well. <laughs> and we've been talking about biodynamic wine and what goes into it and the grape growing, the wine making. I wanted to ask you if from a consumer perspective, have you noticed when you are speaking to people who are going to be the end drinker of this bottle of biodynamic wine and you, you're talking to them about it, do they feel like all of that extra work pays off in the flavor of the wine? Like how do you approach that part of it when you're talking to people about if they just want a, a nice delicious glass of wine and you want to talk to them about biodynamics and how does that translate into the glass? I guess I'm I'm asking. I'm hosting though two wine tastings a month now. Both of them are organic, biodynamic, and natural wines. And the people coming to these have wonderful questions and open mind about the wines. What I'd say is I don't lead with these are biodynamic, the organic. I mean, we taste the wines first. I let them draw their conclusion about the wine and then go ahead and, and describe some of the things we've talked about with biodynamics and what it means. What I'm finding is that people really want to understand how this compares to their conventional wine that they love, that they always drink. What I'm finding is they're surprised. They're just like, well, this is delicious. Well, this is different. Well, this is kind of a nice surprise. So I guess I'm not pitching organic and biodynamic first. I'm pitching the wines first. So Kathy, tell me more on that as far as from a, a retailer or a restaurant point of view. I like that you have people taste and then you say, okay, well, that one was organic. That one was biodynamic. So now you know more about it. So maybe they'll dive deeper into that category. But for a restaurant in retail, do you feel it's valuable that it's noted that's what these wines are, or you just 
say, hey, they're on our list. So trust us. It's a good tasting wine. And then we'll tell you more about it. You, you know where I'm going with that? Should that always be the factor to get people into these biodynamic wines? To me, it's it's a bonus. But I would like to see, Mark, and what I'm talking to retailers and restaurants about is this is about personalizing a wine to your customer. The customers today where wellness is growing, people want to know whatever goes into their body. So by simply including, if it's appropriate, if someone's choosing a bottle of wine from Franklin saying, well, is there anyone with a specific lifestyle that you need to match your wine to or a dietary restriction? Because I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, there are vegan, paleo, my friends are following different diets or lifestyles. And for you to be able to personalize, hey, this is a delicious wine. And by the way, low intervention. And this one's vegan. To me, it elevates you. It's just another level where you can get closer to your customer. And I'm sure the sustainability factor is important, too, because I know talking to wine students and just people who sort of have not only their focus on wine, but focus on the world and the environment in general, that that can be a big part of a decision making process when it comes to your purchases. That is a wonderful point, Kim. And I mean, even some organic, large organic vineyards, they may pull up and not have all the cover crops in their fields. But biodynamics, you have to have cover crops, and that is sequestering carbon, and they care about that. Not only that, cover crops are also retaining water. So that's really important in sustainability. Water is going to be critical here coming up in the next 10 years, but the cover crops keep the water there. Just as an aside, um, there was a gentleman at uh, this biodynamic masterclass who consulted specifically on biodynamics, but was hired by a larger conglomerate to help them in their winemaking. And he shared with this group that he's having like ethical issues. He said their overuse of water. He said they put water in the vineyard, it evaporates. So they've got to put more on. He's trying to convince them to use more cover crops. So the sustainability conversation is real. So these people care and they're doing the right things. Kathy, can we revisit, I believe you mentioned astrology, right, is is a big part of the biodynamic practices. One of the things I used for years was a thing called the biodynamic calendar. And I'd like the listeners to kind of hear from you, your thoughts on the calendar, the biodynamic calendar and the moon phases and all that, how it impacts the biodynamic world and your thoughts if there is any real scientific evidence behind tasting and drinking on certain biodynamic days. Because I've used that in the past, saying today's a great day to taste and drink wine based on the biodynamic calendar. And then I saw this huge study, I think it was in I want to say it was from England because the English were big on promoting days to taste and drink based on the biodynamic calendar. And then I saw this study and it said there's no truth whatsoever to it. So I just wanted to kind of get your feedback, let the listeners know what you think about that biodynamic calendar when it comes to tasting. So when it comes to tasting, Mark, you know what? I think it is very personal. I think it's a philosophy. I think it's a practice as well. But I think it's with a lot of things. Um, If people believe it, maybe you open your mind up to tasting differently that day. Um, But as far as science, I don't think it's something that's been overly tested. 
But I mean, I know there are many things in my life. I'm excited about it. And my mindset is different. You know, I approach it differently. Did they give scientific evidence about going by that calendar for planting and harvesting? I mean, isn't that a big part of the biodynamic viticulture that they have to do based on the phases of the moon? Um, Yes. And it has to do with, as I mentioned before, kind of where water is, like with the tides. So just the, the impact of um, lunar gravity. So for example, when the tide is low, you want to water. You want water pushing down. So they'll water and they'll also put on some of their preparations when they know the phase of the moon is going to be pushing the water down to the vines. And then they want to be careful on when they're pruning, when they know that water is being sucked up through to the leaves and to the fruit. So I believe that that's something, again, it's a practice and it's working for them. I don't think the science is there. Actually, they brought that up at the meeting and said the science isn't there on that. But why change if it's working? Is certification based on that? Are they checking? No. Okay. It's optional. And you mentioned the Demeter, the certification. How can our listeners identify a biodynamic wine on a wine label? Um, so it's going to be a Demeter symbol. There are a couple of symbols. One's orange and one's black and white. It says Demeter. And if it has a certification, you know that it's gone through the practice of it's organic. And then um, every year they get recertified to make sure that they're following the vineyard and the winemaking practices if it's a, a biodynamic wine. There is another group out of France or Europe called Biodivan, and they also certify for biodynamics. But Demeter is the largest. And is this a group of wineries that is growing? There are more and more biodynamic viticulturists or wineries Every year? Yes. And actually at this master class, I would say a third of the audience were organic vineyards and producers in California, Oregon, and Washington looking to become biodynamic. Oh, that would make sense because they've already got some of that experience with the organic viticulture that this does seem like it would be a, uh, a natural next step if they wanted to move in that direction. Yeah, and it's working. And they are open to sharing everything they know with any vineyard so that they can, again, try to move away from chemicals. I mean, everyone's just trying to move away from synthetic chemicals. Kathy, are there any grape varieties that benefit more from biodynamics than others? Are, are you seeing the same type of grapes being made into wine biodynamically? No, I would say no. I mean, um, Austria actually has I mean, the largest number, I guess it's per acre of biodynamic farmers. And I mean, you have a large variety of grapes there. And that would be followed by Italy and France. I mean, the U.S. is starting to become more engaged. I saw you tasted Montanori from Oregon. Yes. And they've been my go-to biodynamic wine I use for classes and I sell in my store just because that was the first one I realized was a biodynamic vineyard in the United States. What was your thoughts on Montanori? Well, beside Rudy Marchesi just being a leader for biodynamics in the U.S., he's the former president of Demeter and just a fantastic educator and kind of a scientist. He gave us most of the data that we saw, realistic data on his vineyard. But he, his, um, I think it was a reserve, was fantastic. The Pinot Noir, it actually had almost like a smoky flavor to it. And it was unique. I mean, just delicious. 
I've always been a fan of their wines too, Mark. Yeah, I think they produce it. Some I love their Pinot Gris. That's the yeah go to for me. But the Kathy was saying they make great Pinot Noirs as well. I'm, I don't even know that I was aware that they were biodynamic. Yeah, and I just recently because we we're going to talk today, I looked at the label and I noticed it. It says biodynamic. It says uh, certified organic grapes, or I mean, it has a lot of information on the mm-hmm. label promoting everything. Kathy, what about sustainability? Is it being promoted a lot in the biodynamic world or are they assumed because they're assumed organic, they are sustainable too? It's part of their nature and their culture. Sustainability is just natural because again, they're not trying to bring in outside inputs into the farm. So everything on the farm is being used for the vineyard. Um, But sustainability, I think it's like 95% of the vineyards in California are now sustainability or sustainably certified. So, I mean, sustainability seems to have caught on with a lot of group. And again, these guys take it to the nth degree. And that's worldwide too. It's not even just here in the United States, but where I've traveled to in France recently, that's been the buzzword that everyone is talking about is sustainability. It's the water issue, like you mentioned before, it's right there at the front of everybody's minds and a topic of conversation that that comes up frequently. Is there anything else, Kathy, you want us to talk about as far as the biodynamics? I can just tell you that this was just a wonderful opportunity to get on the inside of the top biodynamic producers. And the amount of passion that they shared really is reflected in their wines. I mean, I think I cried twice during this meeting when they were talking about people who they've lost within the industry, like Alan York. But I I just would say I would encourage your listeners to try it again for the flavor, but no, behind that is it's not some commercially produced wine. It's going to taste the same every year. They may have just a lovely surprise. It's all about the story. Kim and I just did a whole mm-hmm. show on this, how the wine story, and when you hear things that make you cry, it, 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 <laughs> it makes you just want to educate people about their product and get that story out. And, and I'm sure that's what you're doing, Kathy. Yes, that's exactly what I really love to do. So let's talk about... Uh, what's going on with the Natural Wine School, Kathy? It's been a while. How have you been engaging people in the wine world? Besides learning more about biodynamics, how have you been engaging people out there? Well, I'm trying to make my tastings more interesting um, and also provide the public, I'm focusing clearly on Cleveland because I live here, with opportunities to really learn and love wine, but also engage in things that they love. So I've started, for example, wine walks and talks. You may know I love to hike. So I'm taking people on three to four mile hikes. And then we're going back to a place where we can go and share different wines. And that's a time where I provide wine education if they want to hear it, but get them to explore different wines and start to understand that what it's like to not buy at a grocery store. I'm also working on an upcoming Meeting is going to be about wine and AI. So, and you guys know I love AI. I'm going to be teaching people how to use Bard, Bing, and ChatGPT to become their personal sommelier. And I've been testing this over the last, you know, four or five months. And I think I have a format that'll be fun where people get to practice how to read a wine label, how to get a great pairing, how to get really good reviews and understand a wine before they buy it, just really to build confidence in using some of these tools 
that are chock full of so much information that's useful. So that's a way I'm just I'm just trying to mix it up. We're going to be doing a show about that too. So we, we should have you back to discuss that, the AI and how to use that in the wine world. Kim, we have to definitely talk about that, how it maybe yeah. get Kathy on for that. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and Kim can easily relate to your tours, your, your walking and then doing the tasting because Kim used to do that in the city of Boston, right, Kim? You did walking tours around the city and then wine I didn't do a, uh, No, I didn't do a walking tour. We stayed in one place, but... Oh, I thought you would give it to us. No. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's so I love hard. the idea of going for a hike and then, then tasting some wine. I used to do wine and yoga, so that kind of... <laughs> yeah, it's all, know, we always have physical, to come up with... The physical part and then do something, uh, something tasty. It's about the different ideas to engage people in the wine world. And, and that's one of the things we're getting from the school systems around here. Before it was just, let's do wine 101 and tell people about wine. Now it's like, okay, you have to engage them more. So you have to do the yoga. You have to take them on a walk. You have to do these different things. You have to tell them about the technologies that are out there. So it's great, Kathy, that you're uh, you're doing all that. Thank you. And I can share with the wine school. I'm also, I have several customers I'm working with where I train their staff. Uh, these would be restaurants, some retail. And um. I've changed my wine tastings to be more sensual, where I have fresh fruit out, and you probably do this as well, but different things that they can taste and test, confirm whether that, you know, is that really a lime? Is that really a lemon? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that whole sensory part of it. Yeah, yeah that's I cool. It, I think it's really important, especially I'm working with more younger people that they're kind of like, they like, I love Moscato. I'm like, okay, we're going to go away from that. Try this. <laughs> Where they really need to develop a palate and appreciation. And that seems to really stick with them. They, they don't forget when you start using the sensories mm -hmm. uh, guides. What are some other trends that you're seeing right in the wine world? There's so much out there saying there's too much wine, there's not enough wine. Wine is healthy, wine is not healthy. What what are you seeing <laughs> for current trends? It's trending about the same where people really do want to know what's going in their bodies. Wellness is there. But like you said, Mark, as we've read, I mean, it's going to kill you or it's not. I'm you know, glad I you said that about the wellness, though, because every time I do a class, especially a label class, and, I, and I'll say to people, how many people look at your food labels? And everybody raises their hand. And right. I'll say, how many people looking at the wine label? And nobody is looking. I say, why don't we look at our wine like we do our food? If you care about what you're eating, you should care about what you're drinking. And it's such a fight to get that through to people. How do you fight that fight, Kathy, every day? Well, I guess I believe in starting small. The people who are now following me and going to tastings, they're bringing their friends in. They're telling me stories about when they go to the wine shop, they're asking better questions. So this is where I've kind of switched to working with more consumers and letting them help me kind of drive the messaging that the retailers, let's put them on their heels a little bit. Nothing personal, Mark. But yeah. ask better, you know, in restaurants, yeah. put up yeah, on their heels a little bit. Say, I want a vegan wine. What do you mean? You don't know what a vegan wine is? Yeah, I say so, that all the time. Test them, test them. Exactly. Ask so, them things. I mean, I feel like, yeah, I'm going to just continue to make things fun, build some momentum locally. But yeah, there is a lot of misinformation out there. That's for sure. So I started off telling everybody how I send Kathy these articles all the time. <laughs> And one of the reasons I like sending Kathy's articles is because she'll 
actually follow up. And if she sees something in an article, she will follow up with whoever wrote the article. And Kathy, you may recall, and Kim and I talked about this particular publication, the Eat This, Not That articles that were going around trending with all sorts of wine information. You reached out to the people, didn't you? At one point, there was something you thought was misrepresented in the wine world? Yes, I did. And surprise, surprise, I never heard back. But your listeners, like you said, they know what's going on with their food. And they're getting the same thing happening with food. You know, one day strawberries are great for you, the next day, God forbid, you eat too many. So I think they're starting to wise up that a lot of the research and information given to them isn't fully disclosed. It is frustrating. We try to talk about the things that our listeners would be hearing in the news or whatnot. And then when so many, say, medical studies or whatever are contradictory, not only about wine, but about food and kind of all of that stuff. I hesitate to say that it puts us in a bad position, but it, it does make it difficult because we want to be, you know, as clear and truthful as we can. And then when it's really difficult to suss out, like, what is actually going on here and what is, is the truth? So Mark and I just keep at it. Hey, I'll share with you guys. Um, I'm not going to be able to go. But in October in Toledo, Spain, there is a wine and wellness conference where the top scientists, I have doctors, I know it's US, EU, Australia are coming together to specifically talk about wine and health, what's That's real cool. and what's not. Mm. So I can't wait for that study to come out and we can share yeah. information. I used to put a one page insert on all the things I handed out for classes about the health benefits of wine. And I'd sneak one line in there that every once in a while, someone would pick it up. I, I would put in that the one thing wine does not do is prevent pregnancy. And every once in a while, someone would pick it up. But I kind of, I wanted to kind of make a joke about health thing of, of wine, how there's so much good out there and there's so much, you can find the bad stuff too. But anyway, hey, Martin, I went off on that. Do you see it as, I guess when I talk to people about wellness, it's all, I mean, it's personal, but it's all in context. I mean, wine is one input into your body. I mean, if you're not healthy in other areas, wine's not going to save you. Yeah. If you're relatively mm -hmm. healthy, wine isn't going to kill you. I like to give options that I think I'm helping people by this is organic, this is sustainable, this is biodynamic, and I separate things from all the others to give them a section. Even now, the low-cal wines, the low-sugar wines, that they I even put those in an area. So almost like the healthy section, even the non-alcoholic is in that section to give people some separation of the wine wall. Every once in a while, You'd be surprised someone will ask, do you have biogenic wine? Yeah, it's over in this section. Well, you have a section, you know, and they're like surprised. <laughs> and that section might only be five, six wines. But there are people I see coming around, but I, I think it's because people like yourself, Kathy and, and Kim are, are telling people, like we're telling the listeners today, you have other options uh, you should explore. And you'll probably be very surprised that the quality in pricing of these wines is not outrageous. For all they're doing, the labor and everything behind it, they're very inexpensive, I would say. I would agree. And I also believe some of the finer wines in the world are biodynamic and they just don't tell you. Yeah. You hear that a lot that, well, these people are organic. They don't want to spend the money to get certified. Mm -hmm. So is that something, is Demeter certification expensive like it is to get certified organic? It's, um, I think it's equally as expensive or an investment as organic. But from what we heard at this conference, Montanori, he specifically said, it's really not a big difference. And then uh, the ladies from Italy said, 
biodynamic, the labor part is about 15 days total, eight hour working days a year for their teams. So they don't believe that it's cost prohibitive. It's really a choice. Had one thing I didn't ask you about. The practice with, I'm sure maybe the listeners have seen this, if you Google biodynamics or you see pictures of it, you see the tradition of putting the fertilizer in the horns and then planting them. Mm -hmm. But is that considered now, because they're putting a cow horn into the ground, is it considered it's not vegan? Boy, it would depend on how strict your vegan was. I think this is something we talked about in the past where people were now saying if manure is in your soil, it's considered not vegan because an animal, quote, product is touching. I'm just curious, the whole thing about the horns and the fertilizer, was there talk of that? There was talk about that. One thing I thought was interesting, somebody brought up the fact that there is science behind it, that the cow horn, I guess, um, when it's filled with manure, does change in the silica um, from the horn actually turns into silicic acid, which is known to be good for the soil and change the pH. Um, beside the manure itself turning into, you know, a fertilizer. There was some science behind that. Are they using the same one every year and filling it? They dig it up and fill it again? No, no. They are using, I believe they're using new ones. And also, this is interesting, I thought too, the manure that they want to use, they specifically want to use manure from pregnant, organic, or biodynamic cows. Wow, that's a new one. I know. I had not heard that either. Wow. Um, but I guess... Whatever's going on in that cow makes, you know, but a fertilizer. Wow. That's interesting. But it just tells you there's just so much going on in the biogenetic world and so much going into the wine. So it's a good thing. I, I feel, I mean, the story's a great story to talk about. I, it, I'm i glad we got to tell our listeners about it today, Kathy. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thanks for coming back. Yeah. My pleasure. Anytime. Hey, we can't wait two years. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. Today, our special guest has been Kathy Clancy from The Natural Wine School. You can find her on her website, thenaturalwineschool.com. For more information about Kim, please go to her website, commonwealthwineschool.com. For more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Our past episodes are on SoundCloud and iTunes. And we want to thank Franklin Public Radio for all their support. Cheers. Cheers. Bye, bye.